The Colorado River Sues Colorado. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report about water. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin. And it's This Week in Water. Recovery operations in Puerto Rico are still running into significant gridlock as of October 1st. The Hill reports that problems persist in moving items such as food, water, medicine, and other critical materials out of the port in San Juan. People are having to spend up to an entire day just to obtain one necessity like food or fuel. About 20 miles from the capital, locals lined up to fill containers near a PVC pipe that trickles water from a hillside spring, according to USA Today. Even before the hurricane, however, clean drinking water in Puerto Rico was a major problem. In May, the National Resources Defense Council issued a report concluding that the island suffered the worst rate of drinking water violations of any state or territory in the nation. Nearly 70 percent of the water system had high levels of contaminants, including volatile organic compounds. Now people are worried that winds and lashing rains from the hurricane may have washed toxins into waterways from coal ash dumps. Grist reports that the island has 40 toxic dumps of ash from burning coal to generate power. These open-air dumps contain lead, arsenic, and other chemicals that can contaminate sources of drinking water. If there is any silver lining to this immense disaster, it may be that Puerto Rico could rebuild its water and power generation infrastructure on sustainable and renewable sources. Environmental laws are failing to protect the environment. That's what some people in Colorado are saying, and they want to change that by treating ecosystems the same way as corporations. Last week, a lawsuit was filed in Denver claiming that the Colorado River should be accorded the status of a person with rights to exist and to thrive independent of human ownership or use. The Boulder Weekly reports that the suit is being brought in the name of the river against the state of Colorado but because the river cannot speak, members of the Deep Green Resistance, an environmental activist group, are listed as guardians or next friends acting on the river's behalf. The notion that a river has rights of its own may be new in the U.S., but not in other countries. Last week in Australia, the legislature in Victoria passed the Yarra River Protection Act that treats the river as one integrated living natural entity. And in India, both the Ganges and Yamuna rivers have have legal status. Officials with the state of Colorado have not yet responded to the suit, but those opposed to the rights of nature approach say that it would unravel the current water rights system that has existed for 150 years. Imagine that 70% of the U.S. demand for electricity could be met by a source that's non-polluting and works whether the sun is shining or the wind is blowing. A new technology based upon water evaporation could make that a reality, according to a team from Columbia University. They've developed an evaporation engine which works by using muscle-like bands that expand and contract with tiny changes in humidity. As the bands get wetter, they grow, then shrink as they dry. The energy from the expansion and contraction has been shown to power a light bulb or move a model car. As reported in courts, the scientists have calculated the average rate of evaporation from inland waterways in the U.S. and have projected that it could be a massive source of renewable energy. 
Scientists are in awe and a bit fearful as a new study shows that after the 2011 tsunami in Japan, nearly 300 species of marine life crossed the Pacific Ocean and arrived on the west coast from Alaska to California. The BBC reports that creatures such as mussels, starfish, and many other invertebrates rafted across the ocean, often on pieces of plastic debris. The tsunami washed things like coolers, fishing boats, and even docks into the sea, and with the living creatures attached, they made a journey of over 6,000 miles. The research says that the presence of plastic, fiberglass, and other materials that do not decompose made the rafting possible for the animals. But while the journey of these marine hitchhikers is remarkable, it also raises concerns about the risk of invasive species. As storms become more intense due to climate change, that threat is larger than it's ever been. And finally, last Friday was International Coffee Day, and many chains were offering free cups of joe to celebrate because we Americans, we love our java. According to market research firm Euromonitor, Americans drink more coffee than soda, tea, and juice combined. But is coffee good for you? That answer seems to change as fast as you can say grande half-calf soy no foam latte. And in fact, there were two stories out this week that come complicate whether we should drink up or worry. First, the good news. A new study of people who drank a minimum of four cups a day had a higher chance of living longer compared to folks who rarely drank the stuff. And in case you're wondering, it didn't matter if the coffee were full strength or decaffeinated. The new finding supports previous research that showed coffee could also reduce the risk of many conditions, including type 2 diabetes, liver disease, colorectal cancer, and Alzheimer's. Now that bad news. According to the AP, a lawsuit filed in 2010 by the Council for Education and Research on Toxics resumed this week in Los Angeles. Its primary complaint is that coffee retailers such as Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Seattle's Best, Whole Foods, and several convenience stores violated the California Safe Drinking Water and Toxic Enforcement Act, also known as Proposition 65. That law requires them to post warnings about chemicals known to cause cancer or that have reproductive toxicity. The compound at issue is the carcinogen acrylamide that forms in some foods when they're cooked at high temperatures by frying, roasting, or baking. We're talking things ranging from french fries to dark toast and, of course, coffee. The industry has acknowledged the presence of acrylamide but asserts it is at harmless levels which are outweighed by coffee's benefits. The outcome of the suit that's been brewing for years could determine if there's a wake-up call about to hit the coffee industry. This Week in Water is supported by the American Waterworks Association. Water quality experts will present the latest science and research in the field at WQTC in Portland, November 12th through 16th. Learn more at awwa.org forward slash WQTC.